Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full time. I am the founder of Rapid, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Human is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry, and we're back for another exciting episode and another interview, another one that we haven't done on this show, and we have Dr. Wendy Lee White with us today, so welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yes, and we're talking about medical inequality, equity, um, medical, whoa, might be a long hour. Uh, <laughs> we are going to be talking about the intersection of equity and the, me- the medical field. And so, um, Wendy, before we get started, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, and then we'll get into what you do and how, what your practice looks like. Sure. So I'm a licensed naturopathic doctor and nutritionist, and I've been doing this for 13 years now. Before that, I was a food scientist and I worked for an international food company. Um, I would be a professional student if it weren't for the student loans. So (laughs) I have a master's degree in food science, one in human nutrition, and then my doctorate in naturopathic medicine. Very good. And what are your specialty areas? What are you really passionate about? And what do you, would you say were your specialties? Love working with people in larger bodies who feel like the knee-jerk reaction to their visiting a healthcare provider is lose weight and it mm. will wave this magic wand and make everything else clear up. Um, I like to work with people who have digestive upsets, migraines, headaches, anxiety, and depression, because in our culture, I don't think we really understand the fact that our mood and our neurotransmitters are intimately connected with our digestive tract, for example. And so, so often we compartmentalize mental, emotional in one sphere and physical in the other, but Mm -hmm. our bodies don't do that. And I like to help people realize the connection. Mm, That's super interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. You definitely are like, either I'm tired or, you know, groggy or whatever, or I, my stomach's upset. It's never usually like, huh, I wonder if these are related. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so how did you go from a food scientist into naturopathic medicine? How did that journey start for you? I was miserable. That was the beginning. So, um, So when I went into food science, I was amazed at all the things you could quote do to food. Um, Like from the application, for example, one of my advisors in undergrad had a grant from Natick Army Base in Massachusetts to engineer the MREs for military, Meals Ready to Eat. And she was working on a project 
that was creating bread. And I put that in kind of quotes because, you know, it, it bread that was literally in bomb proof packaging compressed kind of like one of those sponges that when you dry, when you buy dry and then when you wet it, it expands. Yeah. Well, that's what this MRE bread was is when you opened the package, theoretically it would expand to the texture and flavor of bread. And from that aspect, food science intrigued me. I've always been a math science geek and this just seemed really, really cool. Mm. I minored in chemistry and toxicology and continued and got a graduate degree in it. But, but it was gross. Like when I got (laughs) into the industry, I'd be sitting in meetings with people who are getting so excited about instant potatoes or about, uh, hung, uh, about pancake syrup <laughs> and, and it was just it, like, it was just disturbing when we would do any consumer testing, you know, we would really want to target heavy users. And I don't remember exactly what the numbers were now, but like heavy users of these highly processed products were, were really heavy users. And I thought, oh my goodness, like how, how can people live if they're eating these, you know, eight to 12 times a week or that type, you know, and it was just really hard. And um, so I was just miserable. And I, when my husband and I got pregnant, I thought I can't bathe my baby in these stress hormones. Like I was so unhappy. Mm. So I soul searched during pregnancy. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) And then you went to naturopathic school after your child was born? Yes. I stayed home with Alex for three and a half years and she was three to eight when I was in naturopathic medical school. The only way I was able to do that is I have an amazingly supportive spouse. And Mm. he worked full time because that was our income. Yeah. And he did the cooking, the cleaning, the bathing. And I did school and we both did dinner and bedtime routines for my daughter. Wow. And, um, and it was impressive. And he, he actually was probably more burned out when I graduated than I was because I was doing what I loved that was taking every ounce of my energy. Mm-hmm. He was doing all the life stuff. He was doing everything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It was, it was intense. <laughs> I can't imagine Jameson going back to school right now. He's talked about it and I'm just like, oh my goodness. Okay. Yes, of course, honey. I'll I'll try and support you the best I can. (laughs) And hindsight, I mean, I'm a naturopath to my core. Like it's who I am. Mm. And I often, you know, we have an abundance of my student loans. And I often think if if I could go back and do something differently, would I? And what could I possibly do that satisfies and fulfills who I am Mm -hmm. without the $250,000 of debt? And um, I never come up with quite the perfect answer, which is fine because I can't go back in time anyway. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I don't know that I'd put us through that again, knowing exactly how much it took out of us by the end. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Education is one of those things. It's one of the biggest sacrifices, but uh, it's worth it. It's, and then there's the student loan part, which yes, we are very familiar with as well. 
Um, so switching gears a little bit, we were introduced through our networking groups and really talking about the different aspects of diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm -hmm. and how that intersects with especially naturopathic medicine, even, you know, medicine in general, um, the conversation around COVID and access to vaccines and the historical trauma around vaccines being tested on communities of colors, especially, um, but where do you see this show up in either your practice or in the naturopathic realm in general the most? And, and how, how are people managing that? Yeah, so in so many ways, let me just start there. Um, first of all, I think there's always the discussion within the naturopathic community about taking insurance or not taking insurance. Mm -hmm. and, and so here's my personal take on it. On one hand, I grew up blue collar and I understand limited finances or living with an awareness of finances. Mm -hmm. And so for me in the last 13 years of practice, I flip-flopped. I want to take insurance because I want everyone to have access to me. On the other hand, in order to practice naturopathic medicine in the way that is authentic to me, longer visits, deeper dives, more focus on relationships and not just here, take this supplement type of quick fix. Mm -hmm. I have struggled to make a living taking insurance mm -hmm. as a naturopathic doctor because my visits aren't short, because I don't use the diagnosis codes that certain insurance companies want for the highest reimbursements. Like it's it is a game and it's way more of a game than I knew until I got into it. And so mm -hmm. on one hand, I currently just for full disclosure, I currently am an out of network provider, mm -hmm. which means I request payment at time of service and I provide coded receipts that people can submit for potential out of network reimbursement. Mm -hmm. The last time I was an out of network provider, I had a sliding scale fee that went along with that, that offered 25 and 50% discount. I'm currently in this calendar year, really reorganizing and revamping and rethinking my whole practice. Mm. And I'm working on introducing some group programs and some online programs that will be more affordable and more effective because you have peer-to-peer -peer support in addition mm -hmm. to me. Um, they're not live yet, but they're coming, but it's, it's a constant internal struggle for me. I mm -hmm. want everyone to have access to me and I need to make a living and to be able to pay my student loans. <laughs> and, you know, I need to make enough, enough that I'm not just paying my student loans. Exactly. Exactly. No, I think this is something even back when I was doing massage therapy, mm -hmm. you know, the, the massage therapist said the same thing. It was like, you're spending so much time filling out the paperwork mm -hmm. and the coding and the this and the that, that you're doing hardly any massage because any, you know, insurance client required a, a heavy amount of paperwork to do. And so I think that's a really important thing to really point out to our listeners is that it's not the naturopath that is the past that has the problem. It's that the, again, once again, the system is designed for people to fit into it right. versus um, 
you know, accommodate the naturopaths. And so what, what did you say when we were talking how long they want appointments to be 20 minutes or 10 minutes? Oh, some, the average is like eight to 12. Oh, so yeah. when you go sit in the doctor's office, like a normal Western medical doctor, the doctor is really only billing for eight to 12 minutes. And it's, it's, it's absurd. I mean, I spend an hour to return in a return visit because I want to know what worked, what didn't, what the challenges were, let's brainstorm. And it's really in that long-term relationship that you hear the, I don't know if this is related, but X, Y, Mm -hmm. right. And those are always the nuggets. Like the things that you didn't think were related are like, oh, that links this, this, and that. Fabulous. And you don't get that when you're rushed in, rushed out. You know, my dad and I were just chatting. He turns 80 this month, which is amazing. And he was beating himself up because he was at a doctor's office appointment. And he, when I asked him a question, I said, oh, did you ask such and such? He said, oh, no, I forgot. And I was like, dad, make a list. It's, you didn't forget because you're 80. You forgot because the doctor's visits are like, boom, 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 in and out. Yeah. You've got to make a list so that in that efficient time, you can get all your questions addressed. Hello, everyone. I am so excited to introduce to all of you Tim Salen, the sponsor of our podcast today. And Tim is with Remax Equity Group. And man, he's different than all the thousands of agents you probably already know. When you're looking to buy or sell a home, and you want somebody who cares, you want somebody who is patient, you want somebody who gives great advice, and you want somebody who is going to get you what you need, you need a call tip. It's not it's, about being forgetful at 80. It's just about the fact that it's it's a conveyor belt and you've got to be efficient in that time. Well, and it's interesting to think of just in the business world, we typically schedule an hour appointment. Mm-hmm. So if we were all expected to do our business in 12 minutes. <laughs> 12 minute chunks. I mean, it's, it's unheard of. You only can get so much out on the table and solved in 12 minutes. And so to, to do that comparison, I can't even imagine how many visits I would have to meet with people if I was only meeting in 12 minute chunks. Right. Yeah. So it's it's just fascinating. So the equity or the access to care is really making the uh, insurance system, uh, revamping that and completely reorganizing it so that it is inclusive of naturopathic care. Yeah, exactly. And it would even speak to an MD who is wanting to give their patients more care. So this isn't a naturopath versus medical doctor. It's if any doctor wants to spend more time with their patient, Mm -hmm. it's not, the the system of insurance is not allowing for that. Absolutely. I've been on uh, two podcasts in the last month or so with doctors who were practicing MDs in the US who closed their practices and left the country because they were so infuriated by the medical industry of this country. And they they just were like, nope, I'm out of it. Oh my gosh, where did they go? I'm just curious. One went to New Zealand. Okay. 
And I don't recall if I know where the other went to. Yeah, it's interesting to see in bringing in COVID into this conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, what the other countries are doing that have the universal healthcare model and do they have vaccinations already? Are they, are they on board with vaccinations? Are they not on board with vaccinations? You know, what is the, because ultimately the cost goes back to the country, which is opposite for our country. Mm-hmm. Our government makes money off of everybody being sick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, yes. and so from a it, philosophical standpoint, how do you encourage a country to be well when there's so much money to be made? when we stay sick. Exactly. I, mean, I hate to be such a downer, but just from a just from a financial standpoint, like that's a truth. And especially when we're looking at equity and the access to healthy foods, which are typically in our country more expensive than our fast foods, than our, you know, you know, uh, grocery store or not our convenience store foods. Oh, yeah. And hard. so when we're looking at that equity piece of it, it's it's it becomes this bigger mission of just eat healthier. Okay. I can't get to healthy food. I don't have a grocery store close enough to my neighborhood because I have to live so far out that I'm in a, basically a food desert of, you know, there is no healthy food out here. I can go to the Seven Eleven, and that's about it. Yeah. Yeah. And Emily, I think one of the things, um, that naturopaths and nutritionists also have been known for is really, in my view, overemphasizing the importance of food. Not that I don't think food is important, I do. Yeah. But it is, it is one of many, many, many different things that contribute to our health. And mm. so, yes, I know that what we put in our mouths is super important because those are the building blocks of our bodies. And yet there's also stress and sleep and breathing and movement and relationships and all of these other things that we can address, right? So Mm -hmm. that doesn't change the reality that again, our food system is almost as out of whack as our medical and insurance system. (laughs) Yes. So that doesn't change that reality, but it also says, you know what? I hear you that food is a challenge. So let's support your health in all the other ways that we can, right? And that's where everyone has access to let's really look at how we're breathing. Everyone has access to let's look at your relationships with yourself, with others, and with something greater. Something greater doesn't have to be religion. It can be nature or community or social justice. Something that makes us feel tiny is my point. We all have access to those things. And, and that's what I try to emphasize for everyone, no matter their financial resources is let's know your challenges and let's really focus our energies towards things that you have power to control. Yeah, no, absolutely. That makes sense. And to have that give people hope that, oh, if I can't eat healthy, my life is over. I mean, I'm going to be unhealthy, not my life's over, but I'm going to be unhealthy and therefore I'm not even going to try versus, okay, I have control over certain things, which gives people hope and like, okay, so I can feel better a little bit, a little bit at a time if I 
change this and then I can change that and then I can change this and I can work towards something. I think that is much more helpful than, oh, you can't eat right. Okay. You're, you're done. Exactly. You know, diabetes type two diabetes is a perfect example of this. Mm. We know that diet plays a role in your risk for type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. And most people don't realize, and you also hear movement quite a bit. Well, if you just exercise, you know, mm -hmm. but I think of diabetes risk as a three-legged stool with food and movement as each of those legs, but the third leg being stress management. And, mm. and I understand that life is stressful and it's more stressful for some people than others, mm -hmm. but there's always something we can do to help support that stress response. Again, breathing, journaling, prayer, meditation, time in nature, chamomile tea, you know, there are always something we can do to support stress. Hmm. And so for those people who maybe have a high type two diabetes family history, and maybe they struggle with food access or finances, we can look at, hey, let's try to get walking in on a regular basis. Some of my patients hula hoop in their living rooms because they don't <laughs> feel comfortable or safe walking in their neighborhoods. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's, that's wonderful. They laugh as they're doing it even better. Right. Yeah. And definitely. so, so there, there's not trying to sugarcoat the challenges of life, but there really is always something that we can do to help improve our health. Mm. I like that. I like that. Cause I think we do as Americans, especially focus on the sizes of our body and the food and the exercise. And that's it. Like yeah. that's what we've been trained. So yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, going back, we had a really fascinating conversation about, you know, around access, but going even further back into school and <laughs> how, and, and a lot of this conversation stemmed off me talking about um, web design. This is my big thing right now um, and web accessibility. And so I've always been talking to the companies about web accessibility. You need to have your website accessible for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I had this aha moment. I, and I was like, oh my gosh, um, the web developers or the designers, okay, they're they are the ones creating the websites. I'm talking to the wrong people because the companies just go back to their web developers and say, make our site accessible. Well, the web developers don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh my gosh. So now what? And then now I've been looking at these um, kind of all-in-one sites that can be your website, your calendaring system, your payment mm -hmm. system, all of those things. Yeah. And they're creating a whole company basically on one platform and they're not accessible. <laughs> <laughs> and they create your social posts and all this. So mm -hmm. putting that back into the medical world, we had a really exciting and awful conversation <laughs> about the schooling in diversity, equity, inclusion. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I remember that conversation that we had. And one of the examples I gave was, um, you know, when we got to our clinic years, we had weekly grand rounds where experts would come in and give a PowerPoint presentation and a lecture to us about a very particular niche of their practice. Mm -hmm. and, um, and rarely were there examples, like, so I'm particularly thinking of a dermatology lecture that came in and none of the examples that were shown were in 
any darker shades of skin whatsoever. And there were a few students who had greater awareness at the time than I did of inclusion and diversity. And they would quite often be the ones to, to speak up and say, do you have an example of that in darker skin? And it just, it just wasn't, um, it just wasn't on the radar. And there's a, a group, I wish I knew it off the top of my head that I follow on Instagram. Um, that is something like brown and black NDs or brown and black doctors or something like that. And it's sure. fabulous because their, their focus on Instagram, all their social media feed is all education around what we didn't get in school with respect mm. to diversity. And yeah, I can identify rashes pretty well in white skin. Yeah. And, and that was the extent of the education in the textbooks, in the lectures. And um, just like when we think about the idea that most people who live in larger bodies do not go to the doctors because I mean, there's study after study that has interviewed medical practitioners, nutritionists, nurses, and physicians who overwhelmingly have opinions of people in larger bodies as lazy, uh, unkempt, uncared for, lacking willpower. If that's what people thought of me, I wouldn't go see any of them. I Heck no. Why would you do that? Why would you go get like insulted and beat up and so that just plays into the bias and how deep the system runs of you know equity and inclusion or the lack thereof yeah. is looking at the education system and and I on my journey of the web example I gave you know went back and I said graphic designers are they teaching you accessible design in school no and yeah. so it's like <laughs> Yeah. Again, just like the doctors coming to share about their practice, yeah. if they're not aware of it, they're not going to intertwine it into their practice. And they're also not going to come teach you about it because they don't have that awareness. And so it's just so, you know, awful and fascinating to think that, you know, especially as a white woman myself, like our privileges run so incredibly deep into everything we do. And it doesn't even occur to us. Yeah, no, and it doesn't. And really for myself, as far as the larger body bias goes, that really, it's from my own personal experience that triggered me to say, wait a minute, let me question what my assumptions are. Let me question what my mm. education was. We're taught that people who live in larger bodies are unhealthy. We're taught that through medical school that that is the case. And it's really only been in the last eight years or so that I've said, wait a minute, let me look at the research. Let me look at all the other perspectives to find what seems more authentic and true rather than the blanket statements that we were taught. Exactly. And the cultural differences, mm -hmm. because especially in our society here in America, you know, skinny is, and this is more evolved over time. If you look back in, in older photos and, and art, you see bigger bodies being acceptable um, and, and beautiful. Acceptable, but appreciated, right? And appreciated, yeah. For a sign of fertility and health. Yeah. And yeah. then 
other cultures now. Um, I know a, a nutritionist who is telling me, and she's a dietitian, and she specializes in diabetes. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, you know, I was working with a client and I found out that she was drinking a glass of sugar water every morning and she's diabetic. And so instead of assuming that this woman is extremely unhealthy or saying, you can't do that, don't do that, blah, 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 blah. She dug into why was she doing that every day? And in her culture, it was beautiful to be bigger. And it was, it was something that she was proud of. Mm -hmm. And so she would drink the sugar water, pure sugar water. every morning so she stayed bigger and having that cultural perspective and that taking that pause pause break in the thought process of don't do this this is bad 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 shame 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 saying okay if i can keep you in the body that you feel good and beautiful in can we change out that sugar water for something that's not going to trigger your diabetes yeah and i think that's the approach it's looking at other solutions instead of just this mainstream, you need to be skinnier, you need to fit this, this height weight model, you need to eat completely healthy, but how can we find ways for people to appreciate their bodies? And even the idea of BMI, it was looked for an epidemiological exploration and the numbers apply to white males and you get a, a larger bodied muscular woman who's going to instant be, instantly be labeled, quote, overweight or obese, the O words. I, I put yeah. them in quotes for people who are listening who can't see my hands. Um, because like, they're just, they're mislabels. And, and I, I, I consider living in a larger body, like living at, with blonde hair, like living with brown eyes, you mm-hmm. know, like I, um, I struggle with having my target population being those people who live in larger bodies because I myself live in a small body. And I feel like that um, gives me a little less credibility with my peers of, Oh, well, easy for you to say you're in a small body. And um, I come from a large bodied family. I don't know what happened to me. (laughs) Um, But, you know, having uh, shared my mom's health journey with her in her, you know, 71 years, um, I, I think I can give the perspective from the medical perspective, from the nutrition perspective, that that weight is just another descriptor. It is not, it's not anything you can make assumptions on. There's unhealthy thin people, unhealthy larger people, and healthy thin and healthy larger people. Like there's no correlation with Awesome. No, I've heard, I've heard so many people say, you know, this is, I, I remember it was a gentleman, the, the story that I heard, you know, 40 something, 40, maybe fifties. And he was a runner. He was a marathoner, very thin body, very, all, all the things that you wouldn't expect. And he had a heart attack and died. And they're like, but, and people just kept saying, but he's thin. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's like, there's still reasons why he can have a heart attack other than the size of his body, but that's how people are programmed. Right. One of the things I'm researching right now to make um, a little PDF freebie that will go on my website is uh-huh. what is metabolic health? There hmm. is no correlation between the size of the body 
and metabolic health. And many people assume if you go on a quote diet, you'll get healthier. And it mm. just it doesn't work that way. And interesting. Yeah. So that 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 freebie is is in process because I okay. think especially as we're hearing, you know, kind of going back to the COVID thing, as we're hearing people who are metabolically unhealthy, which is seven out of eight people in the U.S. Oh my gosh. Only one out of eight people in the U.S. is metabolically healthy. And that relates to lipids, inflammation, blood sugar, blood pressure, uric acid, you know, so that's the, the, the definition of metabolically healthy okay. things. Um, but we know that people who are metabolically unhealthy have poorer outcomes for COVID. Mm-hmm. And again, if we only focus on, well, if you lose weight, you'll be metabolically healthier. Not true. <laughs> if you change your, you know, go on a diet, you'll be metabolically healthier. Not true. So what is it that yeah. can make us metabolically healthier. And it's, it's basically all the things we've talked about, all the lifestyle things, the stress, the support, the relationships. Wow. That's just fun. mind blowing to me. Cause yeah, the, the, what I've heard and uh, you know, everything of COVID it's COVID. It seems like it's been a rumor I know, it's <laughs> of so some hard kind to, to trust and who's saying the truth. And it says, you know, people who are overweight, people who, those people are at higher risk. Mm-hmm. But when you say the metabolic, yeah. one in eight are metabolically healthy. And I don't think our, our overweight or obesity numbers are that high. They are high, but not one in eight. No. And so, or seven of eight, you know, um, are unhealthy. And so just the information or the misinformation that's out there about these kinds of things is just incredible. Correct. Correct. And so I do my best whenever I can in social media and my newsletters and on podcasts to just to try to separate, to try to detangle, untangle that correlation between mm. body size and anything else. It, it, it might correlate, it doesn't cause but really let's get to the, the really true underlying cause, which is one of the principles of naturopathic medicine is to treat the underlying cause. Mm-hmm. If someone lives in a larger body and they happen to have high blood pressure, we're not treating their body size. We're treating the underlying cause of high blood pressure. That might be inflammation. It might be magnesium deficiency. We don't know. And so really we must find the underlying cause and that is never weight. It's always something else. Hmm. Interesting. So (laughs) many thoughts going in my brain right now. (laughs) And this, I don't even think we talked about before because it's just so, but it's one of those um, buckets of equity that we don't talk about, you know, when I'm doing space evaluations in corporate spaces, Mm -hmm. you know, providing seating options for multiple sizes of bodies, taller people, shorter people, larger people, smaller people. But so in your waiting room, you should have mobile, multiple options for somebody who may not be able to squat all the way down and sit in a smaller chair. Um, Not having arms on chairs is a nice practice for some, for accommodating people in larger bodies. uh Exactly. And then some that, you know, have arms for folks who need to support themselves up when standing up. So that, that variety of, 
you know, and then people, oh, it's that doesn't look uniform. I don't care if it looks uniform. You're actually (laughs) going to fit all of your clients better and they can make a choice that fits them best. Um, And so, yeah, it's always something we consider in those types of engagement. Well, I do in my work, but Mm -hmm. it's not something that is really talked about is the, it's body shaming. It's all of that side of it. Yeah. Yeah, Same with having blood pressure cuffs from a practitioner standpoint, they make extra large, they Mm. make thigh cuffs, they make wrist cuffs. Mm-hmm. really setting your office up so that you have all of the different variations so that you can take a blood pressure from a leg, a thigh, a wrist, an arm, whatever is mm-hmm. accessible, whatever fits, so that you get the best reading for the person. Exactly. Yeah. Um, do you feel like the around the body shaming and the body um, uh, issues, I, I'm going to call them, of society, not of, not of, um, kind of the expectations, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like it's getting better in the younger generation? That's a great question. When I, when I know all of the eating disorder cases and how common eating disorders are, I would say that no, that that our culture is incredibly aware of not living in a larger body. Mm -hmm. Now, not not that culture is the only contributor to eating disorders because Mm -hmm. it's not, it's way more complex than that, but it is one of the contributing factors. Mm. Um, And so no, I think that I think that there's a lot of work to be done. I am super careful about curating my social media feed to avoid the before and after pictures, to avoid the pushing of diets, to avoid the, you know, the, um, the diet talk and and all of that. Um, And if I didn't do that, my feed would be full of all of that being in the naturopathic world, being in the nutrition world, Um, in the, in the masters of nutrition program in which I teach, I am the outlier in the two years of courses they take. There's one other class that talks about coaching that is a little more open and the rest of their program is about counting calories and prescribing restrictive therapeutic diets. Hmm. I'm the only class that talks about taking a weight neutral approach, taking a body positivity approach, exploring disordered eating in as a spectrum of disordered eating to eating disorders being one continuous spectrum. Mm-hmm. And that the, the mainstream nutritionist and the mainstream naturopathic doctor really encourage often disordered eating patterns because they're encouraging, oh, you can never eat sugar. It's toxic. You can never eat a conventional strawberry. They're pesticide sponges, you know, like all of these really polarizing statements mm-hmm. that contribute just as much to disordered eating as body shaming for weight contributes mm-hmm. to disordered eating. And so, um, 
No, sadly, I, I don't think that it's, um, it's coming mm. around yet. Yeah, because I just think about, you know, my grandparents era of all the, <laughs> what was that, Fen Fen and mm-hmm. all those extremely awful diet drugs and, and before they were regulated and all that, I just feel like, you know, that was passed down to my mom and that piece. And then there, my mom's generation passed down to us. And I feel like I am more aware about what I say about weight and health with mm-hmm. my kids and trying to really make sure it's positive and we're making healthy choices versus no, that's going to make you fat. Like that's not something I try to, um, you know, we try to keep out of the house versus, you know, is that the healthiest choice for right now? You have to go swimming in an hour. Shouldn't you get some, something that is, you know, going to give you energy or something, you know, and really focusing on that, but it's hard because it's been programmed in myself and my mom and my, you know, this programming and mm-hmm. unless you're conscious of it, it's really hard to stop. Yeah. 100%. But that can be said about any cultural programming. Mm-hmm. Increased mindfulness helps us break the cycles. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it does, mm-hmm. does mean it's possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the awareness, the having that education and awareness and, and trying to figure out ways to, ways to change it. Yeah. And I think also now because nutrition and, and quote healthy living has become so trendy. Yeah. Then, you know, disordered eating, there's a a new term out here in the last about 20 years or so, orthorexia. No, I haven't heard of that. Orthorexia refers to the fact that it's healthy eating, but taken too far. Mm. There are many nutritionists and naturopathic doctors who can create anxiety and stress in their clients because they have so many rules around what is quote healthy. And, Mm. and so it's interesting in that, in that spectrum of disordered eating, anything can be taken too far. So it's not, you know, we're not saying that making choices to try to promote health in life is unhealthy, but when you're judging other people, when it's interfering with your mental health because you're so tied up in the anxiety of what the best choice is, mm-hmm. that's where the kind of orthorexia tendencies come from. Interesting. Yeah. And that's something I have, you know, in the last year, especially with COVID, trying to find that, you know, and and now the the access to all this information, you know, all the Netflix specials on eating vegan or eating vegetarian or eating uh, now the plants, when we look at the avocado industry and how corrupt that is and the water situation, and I mean, it's just like, yeah. oh my gosh, what do I do yes, to be a, a good human know. being and be healthy? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like you're saying with, okay, I can't eat conventional strawberries. So then do I not eat strawberries or do I, I mean, it's just like, oh my God, I don't even know what to eat. I Can you just put it in front of me? And I don't even have to think like, it's just so complicated and then if you're having any kind of body complications internally not out externally but internally like allergies or gluten or whatever it is it makes it even more it does it can be incredibly stressful and that's why I really started working on food relationships with my clients because so many people were coming with so much anxiety and physiologically 
your body can't be, your nervous system's going to be in like a stress state if you're yeah. anxious. And physiologically, you don't digest and absorb well when you're in a stress state. So mm. it's super close to impossible to really be nourished if you're anxious at the same time. Mm. So my challenge is again, to say, you know what? Food is important, yes. But it has so much anxiety right now for you. Let's table it. Let's look at your sleep, your movement, your relationships, your nervous system. Let's look at all the other ways we can support you and try to diffuse the anxiety around food. Yeah. And then we'll revisit food when it feels like you have enough supports in place in the rest of your life where you can get perspective that food isn't the only way that one can be healthy. Mm. And I could really see your groups really benefiting from a lot of this because it comes around anxiety. It comes around the, uh, how did you do better at sleeping this week? I mean, just the group support and the peer support around those group, that group model that you're talking about. It I seems like this. To pick that off. I am. Um, I just hired a VA who starts next Monday and I'm migrating platforms from one software to another. Okay. That should all wrap up in the next couple of weeks. And then I should be ready to kind of make that next step in the group classes or the online. I don't know which one comes next, but like this will wrap up in the next few weeks and then I'll be moving on to making that happen. Perfect. Oh, yes. Can't That's awesome. <laughs> well, is there anything you want to address before we wrap up here? I think the last important takeaway is that we as human beings are amazing creatures. We have built-in wisdom. We have built-in healing ability. And the more we can believe that that is true, believe that we have that internal wisdom and pay attention to what our bodies signal to us, the more we're able to kind of just live to our fullest potential. Rather than focusing on some external set of guidelines or rules, really focusing, nope, our bodies know itself the best. And the more we can tune in and listen to it, the more it can continue to prove to us that it is amazing and that it has abilities beyond our wildest imaginations. Mm. That is a great note to wrap up on for sure. (laughs) So Dr. Wendy, how can people find you? The best place to go is my website, drwendyleewhite.com. Uh, Lee is spelled L-E-I-G-H, which is a unique spelling of Lee. Mm-hmm. And then from there, they can find me. I mean, I'm on all the social media things. I have a YouTube channel and all that. But my website is the best place to connect so that everything else goes from there. And I do have... Um, a pop-up on my website that leads you to a free kitchen healing ebook, which helps guide you to head to your kitchen when you're not feeling well and use food to help stimulate the healing. Um, And like I said, I'm working on that metabolic health PDF as well. So that soon will be the the freebie pop-up. And so you can sign up for my newsletter on my website if you're interested in any of those. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me here today. I think this is a great conversation. And um, everyone, I will also put um, Dr. Wendy's information in the show notes. So make sure and check out that there. And other than that, thank you so much, Wendy. Thanks, Emily. It was good to be here. Nice to Hi. chat with you as always. As always. Yes, you too. And all of you listeners, we will see you all next Wednesday. We post every Wednesday. So take care of yourselves. Relax, breathe, and look up Dr. Wendy Lee White if you are needing some assistance in doing so. Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about Rapid, visit us at rapidoregon.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. You can find me at emily.curry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and can't wait to see you next week. Thank you.